We are recording live at Redtail with uh, our sponsors, Unit, Middesk, Phoenix, and Insight Partners. And we're uh, going to play a game where we gamble on making our predictions for what's going to happen in 2023. Uh, but before we get started, uh, let's get some intros from our contestants. If you want to start us off. Yeah, for sure. So my name is Jared. I lead up the partnerships team at Middesk as well as our post sales team. Uh, previous to this, I managed our enterprise partnerships at a company called Gigster. And prior to that, I did consulting and I was in product marketing at Qualcomm. Amazing. Uh, Emmanuel? Sure. Emmanuel Playtest from Phoenix. I had uh, business development at Phoenix. And uh, prior to Phoenix, I've done a few uh, things, uh, consulting, some private equity, some other tech operator roles, uh, and uh, then joined Phoenix most recently. All right. And Nikhil? Hi, I'm Nikhil Sachdev. Um, I'm a partner with Insight Partners. Um, we're a large global venture capital firm, uh, primarily focused on the software sector. Uh, we also invest in uh, fintech and just generally things that look and feel like software. Um, firm was founded in 1995, so we've been doing this for 27 years throughout a lot of economic cycles, and I know what we'll talk about is some of those. Um, really, our, our business is unchanged in the sense that from day one, we've been focused on partnering with really fantastic founders, entrepreneurs, and management teams who are in this room today, um, who are building category-defining companies in really large categories. And we support our founders and management teams um, with capital. We, we just closed our uh, latest fund, which is a $20 billion fund. Um, having seen a lot of movies, having done this for a while, and then we have a very large um, portfolio operations team called Onsite that, that work with our portfolio to help them scale. I'm Dave Sinski. I'm the VP of Lending at Unit. Unit is infrastructure for embedded lending, so we help software companies, infrastructure for embedded finance, so we help software companies that uh, want to build financial services products uh, do so with bank relationships, compliance support, capital markets, and software. And I lead our lending practice, so obviously I think lending is the most important financial service. And shout out to Insight Partners, because they got me my job here, so wouldn't be here without them. Amazing. All right. So we are uh, <coughs> going to play a game where we make some predictions. Uh, first topic, macroeconomics. So it has been an interesting couple of years. If I had a dollar for every time I heard the phrase unprecedented, uh, I probably wouldn't need to be working recording this podcast. Uh, but that said, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you think the macroeconomic climate will impact banking and fintech in 2023. Um, why don't we start over here? Okay, so I think that in a high interest rate environment, consumers will be what they'll feel the pain first. And I think that's going to trickle through eventually to the B2C fintechs and small businesses and B2B fintechs and ultimately the enterprise, but that's going to take some time. So I think cons consumers and B2C fintechs will feel pain earlier in 2023 and uh, B2B fintechs and enterprises later in 2023. Uh, another prediction that I have is that picks and shovels will do well in 2023, uh, specifically referring to the, the infrastructure companies, which we're all here today. Um, and the reason why is because people build products even in times of recession, and those products require other products to make them work, like KYC companies or uh, banking as a service platforms and so on. And my last and final prediction is that I think fintechs who sell to very stable 
end markets and end users will do well. During COVID, we saw um, the impact of selling to unstable markets. Like for example, if you were a travel company and sold travel, you were quite impacted or restaurants if you sold to restaurants. So I think those in 2023 that sell to very stable end markets will excel. Amazing. Uh, next, next prediction. And if you want to just say your name beforehand so people know who's making the... Uh sure. This is Emmanuel Playtest, and I'm going to tell you the future here. No. <laughs> uh, macroeconomics. So um, the funny thing that, that's happened in the industry is that uh, the, the market, the moment they felt that interest rates were going to go up, like uh, Jared was saying, in a higher interest rate environment, um, the market immediately uh, acted on it. And so valuations went down. While the macroeconomic climate actually still has one of the tightest labor markets in like history. So like if the general economy, aside from obviously inflation affecting people, is still doing really, really well. Um, so like there's still jobs. But in tech and especially fintech, because I think we were sort of at the front end of, you know, the fact that we were able to use capital to build the future of financial services, um, our valuations all went down. And so I think that most fintechs have, um, whether they've done layoffs or better performance management, are actually now in a better position to anticipate what could happen, right? We don't, no one knows if it's gonna be a hard landing, soft landing, or what, you know, how this sort of economy will shake out in the next six to nine months. Um, everyone could, could make those predictions, but I think in FinTech, um, uh, we're sort of already ready to go, right? And Jared said, picks and shovels. Um, I think what, what matters today is who's actually building real technology and not just you know building a nice website with a new marketing strategy. Uh, who's building real tech? And those are the folks that are going to come out of this on the other side. Uh, and if you can come out of this on the other other side when other folks don't, then you're going to be able to you know clean house at that point. Uh, and then at that point, sort of get back to you know that growth curve you were trying to go after last year. Yeah, I mean, I I, I said I wasn't going to share my opinion, but I can't help myself. Did I, mean, I, did the, I prompt you that? <laughs> uh, I, the the piece of this that I'm personally most interested to see how it plays out is some of the consumer credit focused companies that have pursued um, less prime segments. You know, it's always easy to grow your book by increasing your approval rate or lowering your credit threshold. And particularly those that are using um, less traditional forms of underwriting. So how does cash flow underwriting pan out or use of certain alternative data sets? So I mean, those uh, just out of like personal curiosity are sectors that, that I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to uh, in 2023. Uh, Nikhil, what about you? Um, well, I'll, I'll preface by saying, um, you know, I'm happy to give macroeconomic predictions as long as, uh, you know, there's strong op opinions kind of lo loosely held. Um, actually, the last time I was giving, I think, macroeconomic predictions publicly was when Emmanuel and I worked together. So Emmanuel was actually a congressional candidate in 2008. Um, and I didn't give much of my background. My background was basically all working at in investment banking and, and investing, but I, I sort of part-timed um, as his economic policy advisor on his campaign. So, and so, so this we were is talking like full about, circle yeah, this is full circle. back from like, a financial like, crisis. And, and so often <laughs> when I'm when I'm talking about our current macro, I'm like, well, it's fundamentally not as bad as back in 08. And I do believe that. Um, but it's, I think, the worst we've seen since 08. And in 08, you know, the Fed and monetary policy came to our rescue. And here it's working against us. It's purposeful, the pain that we're feeling. Um, I think that 
we have already felt the pain largely in valuation multiples, which has um, over-indexed in its um, negative impacts to software and fintech. Um, and we've seen that. And I think there could be some further decline on multiples, but it feels like, by, by and large, we've felt a lot of that pain. I think what we haven't observed, and this sort of relates to what Emmanuel was saying, is the impact on the demand curve. Because the labor markets are still healthy, um, and it, there's an impact to tech. And you know, in fintech, I think you have things that look really much like software, and a lot of the companies here look and feel like software. And then you have things that look more like traditional FI. And fintech gets lumped in this big bucket, but I think you have to disaggregate that a little bit. And I think depending on where you lie in that range, you're going to start to see an impact to the demand curve, but it's going to impact you know consumer credit companies, I think, way more disproportionately when the cost of, let's say, lending goes up um, than it is to the picks and shovels and the plumbing, right? And so there's going to be a disaggregate. There's going to have to first be an understanding of the impact to the demand curve um, and then some disaggregation and understanding, well, growth is not created equal across the broader category. The business model strength is not created across the category. Um, and I think a lot of what people are going to work through, at least from the investor, investor perspective in 2023, is where, there, where is their durable growth and where are their strong business models in the sector and where do you want to keep um, deploying capital? So I get the admirable role of an operator following an investor pontificating on macroeconomics. Um, so I'll do my best. But following up on, on something Jared said, um, we do spend a lot of time with the capital markets and talking to the large credit funds who support fintechs and other software companies as they build lending programs. And we are definitely seeing a much stronger pullback on consumer and especially unsecured uh, lower credit score consumer. And frankly, not a lot of pullback on SMB. I think there's still a lot of faith in the institutional investment community that small businesses can uh, survive and thrive through this and that um, there are you know some tailwinds um, as well as some headwinds here going into this environment. And so definitely, I think, um, from a cost of capital perspective, if you are a fintech serving SMBs, um, you're in a much better position than if you're uh, doing lending to uh, thinner file consumers. And then um, the second thing I would say, and going back to kind of some reflections on 2008 and 2009, I think in many ways 2008 and 2009 were kind of the fertile ground that FinTech 1.0 came out of. If you think of a lot of the um, kind of FinTech 1.0, it was the lending clubs, the Ondex, uh, the Venmos. And I think that there is this pattern of whenever there is economic upheaval, there's an opportunity for new models uh, to kind of grow and thrive. And I, I think, you know, what we're bullish on at Unit is that um, the future is in embedded lending and in software companies um, being the financial service financial service providers of the future. And I think upheaval in, in some ways accelerates that. Yeah, I mean, the macro topic ticks and ties to our second prediction category, which is you know VC and investing climate. Uh, I mean. You know, as you mentioned, the uh, interest rate environment has very quickly ratcheted down valuations on public market companies. So, I mean, uh, you know, former darlings like like a firm like Klarna. I don't know if I'm supposed to be naming names here. Um, you know, saw their valuations drop precipitously and very quickly. Now, obviously, that can take time to flow through to private market valuations, private market multiples. So, I mean, I guess the the uh, prediction question is, you know, what do you think the environment for fintech fundraising, fintech valuations, 
uh, and you don't have to name specific names, uh, but what do you think that that's going to look like in uh, 2023? Uh, Jared, if you want to get us started. Yeah, so I think you can draw a direct line between what's happening in the macro environment and what's happening in private and public markets. In a, in a high interest rate environment, you have less access to capital. And when you have less access to capital, a dollar today is more valuable than a dollar was even just a year ago. And so when you think about that through an investor's eyes, not to speak for you, and you probably <laughs> be interesting to see what you think, but uh, when you think about that through an investor's eyes, whether that's an everyday investor like us here or whether that's a venture capitalist, I think that means you are only going to invest in companies that have really strong business fundamentals. And when you think about fintechs today, many of them are not profitable. Uh, and I think there's a renewed sense of urgency to reach profitability, but that takes time. And for most, it'll probably take longer than 2023. And so for those reasons, I don't think uh, the majority of fintechs will be that attractive to public markets. And therefore, we should fully expect to see a slowdown, uh, a pretty major slowdown in IPOs in 2023. And then in terms of fundraising, I think we've still seen a steady stream of Series A and seed stage investments and really uh, investors kind of shy away from the later stage startups. I would expect that to continue through 2023 and unless something changes with the interest rates or inflation, um, that, that will likely continue to be the case. Emmanuel? Sure. So uh, valuations have come down. So. Uh, um, I, I was a, an allocator of assets in the past in the past life where I allocated to a bunch of different uh, venture capital private equity funds and um, the kind of misnomer out there is that uh, valuations in the private markets um, haven't gone down yet but it's just because the venture, the venture capital and private equity firms haven't actually marked their their companies down uh, but in reality the valuations have come down right and so um, the valuations have already taken a hit and so now folks that have not raised money uh, because for some reason they couldn't, right? Or maybe they tried, but you don't hear about those. Um, you will see a little bit of carnage uh, here in the next, let's call it six to nine months, where those folks will run out of money or at least are gonna get close to running out of money and they're gonna get bought at a discount and you're gonna see some consolidation in this space. At least that's, that's a prediction that I would say sometime sort of Q2 next year where the folks that raise maybe in you know June, July of uh, 2021, when the markets are really hot up until November, uh, you know, those folks are going to face a, a, a day of reckoning. Now, the folks that are focused on real tech, right, we've already kind of heard that, that theme uh, that are, that are going to come out on the other side, they're going to come out stronger because they're going to have less competition and they may be able to buy companies at a discount. Uh, um, and those are the folks that are going to do um, much better. Now, the sort of saving grace of all this is that uh, record amounts of capital were raised by venture capital and private equity firms. That's all what's referred to as dry powder. Um, all that is on the sidelines, right? Now, it doesn't mean it's cash. It just means that these venture capital and private equity firms that have slowed down their pace of investing in the last, call it, three to six months, all still are able to call that capital and start investing at some point, right? And so the question is, when are they going to start calling that capital and start investing again? And I think that's going to start happening once folks feel like the Fed is going to stop raising those rates, when they feel like there's some stability, they see inflation coming down a little bit. Uh, that's when these private equity venture capital firms, the more aggressive ones, are going to start uh, investing again. And so the fintechs that can survive till then, at that point, that's when they'll be able to kind of go back to the market, um, you know, and, and come back, I think, stronger. 
Nick Hill, definitely curious to hear your point of view. Well, I think we've, we've definitely observed um, the impact to the public market reference multiples in both in technology overall, the whole market, um, you know, fintech in particular. Um, and I think we have not yet seen that, as Emmanuel said, in, in private markets. In part, maybe it's because the, the valuation marks have to flow through. I think really it's just because we're not seeing deals above, just like what you said, above the Series A, really trading at the same volumes as um, uh, as last year around this time. And so, you know, every venture capital firm, including, you know, myself to my portfolio companies are saying, you know, don't go out and raise right now in what's one of the really worst markets um, to raise. And, you know, by and large, our portfolio is is healthy and has um, is well capitalized. And a lot of companies are healthy and well capitalized because they were able to tap the financing markets that were very robust last year. And so, um, if you if they if people don't have to raise, they're not I, I think by and large um, out there raising, and so you don't have reference pricing um, in the private markets. Um, what what could change that? And I'd start first with the public markets. What could change um, sentiment and um, drive some more sustained rebound? I'd say in in the public markets is what, first of all getting the boogeymen out. So a lot of the boogeymen have come out this year. You know, particularly as it relates to rates, some of the things going on in our macro economy, um, some of the things going on in our geopolitics. I think this impact to the demand curve, which is I think what we'll see in Q3, Q4 earnings, is going to get one of those boogeyman, remaining boogeymen out. And then what's the catalyst? And I think right now the whole market is looking for a catalyst um, for optimism. And I think one of those catalysts in 2023 could be that we actually start to see the impact of our rate hikes. Um, in our um, in our inflation numbers in a more meaningful way um, that we then start to taper uh, and the Fed signals that clearly um, and I think that can change sentiment very quickly and I think when sentiment changes valuation can change even if fundamentals haven't changed that much um, and I think at that point you'll start to see more private companies trading because the reference multiples are different I think you could also start to see more private companies marking because in 2023 they're going to have to raise like at some point if you're a cash burning company um, you're going to have to raise I also think 2023 is going to be this year and you reference this um, where people are really going to get deeper in these buckets of high growth technology um, around like what's what's durable growth and this idea of durable growth has been kind of whipsawed in some ways by covid we had this huge acceleration in the demand curve because of covid for most things touching um, digital disruption or financial technology um, and then you know there was some natural deceleration just coming off of a strong year in 2020 and 2021 where you had um, maybe above the curve secular demand. Um, and now we're going to work through that in an environment where we're also shifting the demand curve with rates. And so I think we're going to have to unpack what's going on with growth and where is there really durable growth? Um, and then uh, where is there strong, resilient business models? So it's bad enough having to outpredict the venture capitalists on macroeconomics, and now I'm being asked to outpredict them on venture capital trends. So maybe I'll, I'll take this opportunity to just <laughs> synthesize and maybe give some advice from an operator's perspective as I think about this. I think, I think there's two things. One is there are things you can control and there are things you can't control. You can't control multiples. They go up, they go down, it's not in your control. You can focus on building a great durable business. And I think as an operator, that's what we try and focus on. And then two is, you know, 
the mark, you know, multiples and, and the markets are somewhat exogenous and somewhat out of your control, but you can still respond to them. And when I see these swings, I think about, you know, there's always an inherent tension between growth and unit economics. And what the market is telling you today is that you should, whatever you thought that right balance was six months ago, 12 months ago, you should focus on unit economics. And I think that's, you know, as we talk to our clients who are building financial services, it's an opportunity to add margin, uh, add engagement with your users, um, improve your unit economics by adding the suite of financial services to your products. And so, um, you know, I think keep your head down, build a great business, and really focus on unit economics, and it'll come out on the other side. And for our uh, last topic, uh, big tech has kind of a mixed record of pushing into the banking space. You know, we've seen some uh, players like Google sort of pull back or recalibrate their strategy away from consumer towards uh, sort of serving as a vendor selling cloud services into banking. You know, Amazon has not actually been particularly active serving more as maybe a marketplace uh, rather than sort of directly entering the space. Um, Apple, arguably, in that sort of big tech pantheon, has been the one that has made you know the biggest splash, especially this year. Um, curious to hear your predictions for how will big tech you know impact or interface with banking with fintech, you know, as we move into 2023. I think big tech companies right now have very strong balance sheets, and what that enables them to do is be on the offensive in times like these versus the defensive in times like the uh, in times like this and what that looks like to me is heavy investment in new technologies uh, in people and engineers and product and design and so on um, not to mention I think that we'll see increased M&A activity from big tech companies as there's bound to be some good deals in 2023 um, so I guess the question then is, what types of new technologies will big tech invest in in 2023? I think we're seeing quite the competition over wallet share for consumers and businesses amongst the big tech companies. Um, and I think we've seen the big tech companies uh, explore financial services as a way to earn wallet share from those users. Um, and I don't think that's going to change in 2023. I think they are competing with each other over wallet share and, the, and for that reason they will continue to invest in financial services uh, to earn that. And then the last thing I, I just want to note, Middesk is an infrastructure company that's making it easier than ever to onboard a business. Um, and we have other infrastructure companies here that are unbundling financial services and creating vertical solutions. That makes it easier for these types of companies, traditional tech companies, to launch embedded financial services and I think because of that combined with everything I said before in trying to earn wallet share, uh, they'll continue to invest in 2023 quite heavily. This is Emmanuel again from uh, Phoenix. Uh, I think the, the takeaway is that um, the market uh, for uh, financial services uh, and um, technology is massive. And when you think about transactions, right? Uh, commerce, it's 250 trillion plus uh, dollars of transactions that are happening on an annual basis. And so, to Jared's point, uh, these massive, the, the mama stocks, we say big tech, Microsoft, Apple, Meta, I'll name them, um, you know, uh, um, Amazon, Alphabet, 
they do have tons of cash on the balance sheet. So um, if anything, it's validation for what Unit, Middesk, Phoenix, for what we're doing, right? And I think um, you know, they're, they're going to invest a ton, but it doesn't mean that all their investments will pan out. Some will be successful, some will not. And I think fintechs do need to have sort of a pulse on what these, you know, what big tech is doing because they should learn from it. They should learn from some of those experimentation that, that Amazon is doing and maybe didn't, you know, pan out or that Google tried but, but isn't panning out. But also look at what Apple Pay and, and Google Pay has done to the industry, right? Now, us as, as Phoenix, um, we do, you know, payments uh, facilitation, infrastructure for payments processing. Uh, you know, we, we're, we've been simplifying payments and and embedding Apple Pay and Google Pay, right? Embedding other alternative payment methods so that um, any software platform, uh, you know, can do payments. And so um, as fintechs, when you see big tech coming in, you can't be afraid of it. You got to welcome it. It validates you. And what you should do is just find sort of what is your wedge, right? Don't try to do it all, right? Don't try to be the, the fintech, you know, that comes and saves the world, right? F- figure out what you are really, really good at. And what's going to happen is that the big uh, tech companies are going to say, you know what, uh, I don't want to spin up 200 engineers to just figure out that one product. I'm going to partner with Unit or Middesk or Phoenix. Uh, and that's what, what I think is going to happen, right? So these big tech companies come in with a lot of cash. Some will win, some will fail. But ultimately, the fintechs that focus, find their wedge, are going to benefit because they're going to be the future partners of big tech. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's what I found particularly interesting about the Apple story in 2022 is this notion that they want to spend the time, resources, and money to reproduce capabilities that already exist in the marketplace that they could partner um, to utilize. And um, frankly, I'm a little skeptical that, that they're going to do everything that has been reported out in the, in the last you know, six months um, as far as sort of insourcing some of these capabilities. Yeah, I was going to say, we at Phoenix welcome all the big tech to come in and be our partner. Um, Thank you both, all of you, for your thoughts. I feel like this is a hard question for me to follow because I think you guys have have summarized it really well. Um, For me, I think there are kind of two factors at play. You know, one is um, fintech is a massive, as you said, Emmanuel, a massive growing end market where I think really if you look at the uh, presence or penetration of technology relative to overall financial services on a capitalization basis or a revenue basis, whatever it is, you know, we're like sub five points of what the overall pie is, you know, really being Im- impacted or controlled by um, technology companies. And so I think that that's a, there's a huge opportunity as this overall sector grows and as the, as the, the share of um, kind of technology led players in this sector kind of outperforming. Um, and so I think that's going to attract uh, large strategics. I think especially large strategics who have either really large user bases um, or really large um, and deep penetration in the enterprise. And I think they will see kind of the prize and I think they will also see a lot of the synergies in their own businesses um, for layering in financial services um, into their core products. And I think they're likely to going to be consolidators in the industry. They're going to be buyers in the industry, especially as we enter um, or or continue into an environment um, where valuations are um, tougher and companies' cash positions are declining. And so I think that's the, the sort of bull case on where how strategics could be more active in, um, in this market. I think um, the counter is a lot of big technology companies are also seeing their share price performance impacted, their valuations impacted. Um, Emmanuel, you and I were talking in the hallway about uh, you know, a common friend who just wrote an investor letter, investor activist letter to Meta, right? And, you know, like they're, 
they're being pressured to focus on their core business. Um, and it's harder in an environment where your multiple is pressured, where rates are going up, to go out and take the, the big swings um, because capital isn't as cheap. You know, like the market isn't as frothy. You aren't going to get the, the same kind of benefit of the doubt, I think, by your investors um, when your stock price hasn't performed or your core business is not performing as well or your free cash flow position is not as, as healthy. And so I think that's the counter to why, um, you know, big tech could be, could be a player here. You know, we talked a little bit earlier about this idea of FinTech 1.0 and FinTech 2.0. And I really think uh, FinTech 1.0, again, was, were these full-stack FinTech companies that had to build everything from the ground up. You know, there weren't the Phoenixes, there weren't the mid-desks, there weren't the units of the world. So by definition, if you were launching a FinTech product in 2010, that had to be your core focus. And so Apple and Google and Facebook could not have launched um, successful financial products. And in 2023, as the industry has matured, it's a sign that, you know, the Apple, that the big tech companies can because there is this infrastructure layer. But again, the pie is so big that it's not just the big tech companies that can take advantage of this infrastructure layer that it has developed. And what you see when this infrastructure layer develops is the locus of competition shifts from can you build brand new infrastructure to do you have audience? Do you have a depth of a relationship with your customer? And Apple, Google, Facebook, they have broad and horizontal reach, but vertical SaaS, uh, niche you know, consumer neobanks. There's a lot of software companies out there today that have narrow and deep relationships with consumers and they can benefit from the same layer of infrastructure that the big tech companies that have broad and shallow reach can. And so I think you'll see both win. And I think it's a sign that we've moved from this kind of full stack competition environment to this there's infrastructure and you compete with audience and depth of connection with your customer. All right, I want to thank my uh, fellow gamblers for uh, taking the time to make some bets for 2023. Really appreciate you guys taking the time away from the uh, great party. And also definitely want to thank uh, my hosts, our hosts, Unit, Phoenix, Middesk, uh, and Insight Partners for putting on a great event. Uh, look forward to uh, the last couple of days of Monday 2020. Thank you, guys. Thank you.